Welcome to Koinonia Podcast. We exist to engage the church with edifying biblical discussion that is relevant to our local church in our world today. Let's tune in in today's episode. Welcome back. And my name is Brent, and I serve as the lead pastor of Steel Valley Church, located in beautiful Youngstown, Ohio. It is a pleasure to be with you today and continue the discussion regarding the topic of the Lord's Day. And as we covered in the last episode, I do believe that Christians often struggle between the balance of legalism and lawlessness, and trying to decipher between what is instituted by God and what's instituted by man. After all, we want to be faithful to worship God and not man. And so what we did, we surveyed scripture, starting in Genesis, leading to Exodus, to Deuteronomy, jumping over to the New Covenant um, in the Gospels, where Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and Hebrews reinforced the Sabbath day, and then in Revelation, where John speaks of the Lord's day in Revelation 1. And so all we wanted to do was to quickly... Um, and I, I, I wanted to quickly identify the Sabbath principle that is ingrained within the lives of the people of God. And so we were only able to take a biblical glimpse upon the matter, though. The conclusion, while I do encourage you to actually revisit and listen to that last episode, I, I guess for the sake of context of the discussion where we're at right now, I should just reveal my cards that a Sabbath remains today as being people of God in the New Testament church. However, after the last episode, we were unable to discuss at that point which day that is, to define which day. So today, my hope is that we will be able to take a historical glimpse looking at the centuries leading from the cross to today. And then also looking at specifically at the end of our time, a cultural glimpse, looking at recent changes in the last history, uh, in the last century specifically. So let's do this right now by way of observing apostolic practice. So let's get into this, this historic glimpse into apostolic practice and confessions. However, before we do, I do believe that we have to establish the premise of apostolic authority because we can't find ourselves failing to comprehend the weight of their unique roles in the early church as laying foundational truths for the church to be built upon. I do approach the topic of apostolic authority with a little preconceived beliefs, according to what the Bible says regarding apostolic succession and the Roman Catholic beliefs of the matter. So let me just start off by saying that apostolic succession is not biblical, and Jesus Christ commissioned the apostolic body personally to provide the foundation for the church. And so this apostolic body was granted special, unique authority to speak for Jesus Christ to the believing community. And they had the authority to command Christians throughout the Gospels and all the letters and epistles in the New Testaments. In other words, the message of the apostles, as we have for us today, found in 66 books of the Bible, we see for us today is the Word of God and inspired by the Holy Spirit. So in short, 
the authority of the apostles has been passed on through the writings of apostles, not through apostolic succession. And so what we need to understand, I'm not trying to get into this rabbit trail of discussion, but I do think that this is vital to consider as we try to identify which day is to be observed as the Sabbath day in our current age. If the authority of the apostles are preserved in their writings, if all the writings are God-breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit through the apostles, we ought to also consider the realm of the authority preserved in their ways of life. And you see, the apostles observed the Christian Sabbath on the first day of the week. Sunday, it's the Lord's day. This first day observance was apostolic practice. And due to apostolic authority, it becomes a precept for the life of the church. So how can we be so certain, though, of apostolic practice? We can confidently look upon the writings and patterns of the disciples of the apostolic body, the students of the apostolic body, namely the early church fathers of the first and second century. And there's a lot of great resources that you can find, that we can all find and have within our grasp, and uh, two of them being uh, Geisler's Church History, uh, Volume 1, Chapter 2, Paragraph 30 and Paragraph uh, 93, indicate that the Gentile Christians observed also the Sabbath. (laughs) The Gentile Christians observed also the Sabbath. Looking into page 163 of John Lay's book and writings, Sunday is the Sabbath, he writes, quote, from the apostles' time until the council of Laodicea, which was about the year of 364, he says, the holy observance of the Jews' Sabbath still continued, as may be proved out of many authors, and yet notwithstanding the decree of the council against it. And there exists numerous resources that point to apostolic practice that led Christians away from the ceremonial Jewish observance of the Sabbath being on Saturday. And they the, these Christians separated from that day to make it on Sunday, indicating the first day of the week, a day that is commemorated as the day of Jesus conquering death and resurrecting from the dead. This apostolic practice became the tradition throughout the centuries into the Middle Ages, through the Reformation, and even our day to day. And yes, a tradition, but apostolic tradition, apostolic practice that becomes a precept for the Christian life. And we get great insight into convictions, apostolic convictions that are very well articulated in various confessions, reinforced in confessions like the Heidelberg Catechism, the Canons of Dort, and even the Westminster Confession of Faith, all emphasizing our obligation to worship on the Lord's Day. However, being in the Reformed Baptist spectrum myself, I think that we can observe what the London Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689, agrees upon regarding which day this is. And so looking at the London Baptist Confession, 1689, 
chapter 22 and starting in paragraph 7, it states, It is the law of nature that in general a portion of time specified by God should be set apart for the worship of God. So, by his word, in a positive moral and perpetual commandment that obligates everyone in every age, he has specifically appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy to him. Looking at Exodus 20, like we saw. From the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, the appointed day was the last day of the week. After the resurrection of Christ, it was changed to the first day of the week, which is called the Lord's Day. And this is stating, uh, this is referring to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Acts chapter 20, and Revelation 1. Paragraph 8 continues saying, quote, The Sabbath is kept holy to the Lord when people have first prepared their hearts appropriately and arranged their everyday affairs in advance. Then they observe a holy rest all day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their secular employment and recreation. This is referring to Isaiah 58 and Nehemiah 13. And it continues, Not only that, but they also fill the whole time with public and private acts of worship and the duties of necessity and mercy. This is referring to Matthew chapter 12. Now, time doesn't allow for us to dive too far into depth of the full scope of each century and, and each and every council that reinforced Sunday as being a Christian Sabbath. And I am sure that every listener right now is so heartbroken over that, that we can't go through each century and look at every council that reinforced Sunday being the Sabbath. But in short, my goal and the goal that I wish to be accomplished in serving a glimpse of history is to simply see that Sunday observance was an apostolic practice. And because of apostolic authority, it becomes a precept for the Christian life. History supports the notion of this practice. We cannot ignore its emphasis in edifying reality that God has structured for us. I mean, think about this. Our observance of an entire day of rest is actually evangelistic to the watching, endless, busy, and chaotic world that is running on Duncan. Our rest, it declares that there is something Christians are prioritizing that the world is invited into. Isn't that a great picture of the gospel? And so that, in short, is a historical glimpse. Now, I want us to look at the culture today and look upon the last century. We live in a culture that runs on Duncan always working, always doing, always going and going, aren't they? And since the rise of technology and internet giving way to social media, our day-to-day -day is honestly busier than ever and more distracted than ever with thousands upon thousands of notifications at our fingertips throughout the year. And so I want you to see that times 
surely have changed. The world is very, very busy. We all know the reminiscing grandparents, don't we? Talking about the good old days, how they survived through the depression with four outfits, all to emphasize that our perception of our needs are really quite skewed into simply wants. I mean, I hear, I would hear stories of the good old days too. However, there's one story that never seems to leave my mind when we're discussing the Lord's Day, when we're discussing being a Christian in our culture and our day. According to history, things have certainly changed, and our priorities have indeed shifted and marginalized the importance of the gathering church. Maybe you don't believe me. Well, my grandmother, she would express her disdain for stores that would be open on Sunday. She would explain how back in the first half of the 20th century, all the stores would be closed on Sunday. Sunday would consist of waking up, going to Sunday school, then attending the corporate church service. The afternoon that day would include studying and singing hymns with the family at home and then only to return to the church building to have an evening service and and even attend youth group that night. In fact, the Christian Sabbath was so ingrained in the culture that in the mid-20th century, even the NFL discussions with their board of broadcasting their games on Sunday, they thought it would be foolish because they figured no one would even watch. And slowly, but surely, cultural entertainment began began to take priority of Sunday. Stores began to open with limited supply on Sunday, and the Lord's Day continued to become more and more marginalized in the fabric of society. Now, Christians are found in tension upon the pressures of church or recreation on Sunday. And even if Christians were to be faithful to attend on Sunday morning, The thought of returning on Sunday for an evening service would almost seem pointless and kind of legalistic in some standpoints and probably have minimal attendance. But we have to ask our question, why? Why is it so? What's with the shift over the last hundred years? The culture has changed and has reoriented society to marginalize the church. In fact, if we survey biblical theology, those patterns throughout Scripture, we will find that this is a recurring problem in the nation of Israel being intermixed in idolatry. And so what we should see is that clearly something has changed. And I believe that we can all agree on that. There seems to be a pull from the culture that is demanding the church to adopt the things that they claim to be important, lest the church be considered out of touch with reality, a reality that they are manipulating and they are creating, not God. This is not a call to turn into a bunch of Dutch Reformed legalists and observe the day faithfully because of the day. It's the day and just a mindless day. No. It's not my goal. It is my aim that our heart motivation behind the choice 
being of the utmost importance. The condition of our hearts must be inclined to obedience and pure before the Lord. Just as baptism doesn't save, so too Sunday observance doesn't save as well. But both do glorify God, and God will bless our obedience in such matters. After all, sound orthopraxy is a fruit of sound orthodoxy. So as we sort of kind of conclude this discussion of the Lord's Day and taking the matter before the Lord, I do believe that the glimpses found in the Bible, the glimpses found in history, and our cultural glimpses today and the last hundred years indicate that hearts truly on fire for the Lord will indeed prioritize a Sabbath rest. And according to apostolic practice, that would put that day on Sunday. Sunday is, in fact, the Lord's day. It's not an hour and a half of corporate worship together with the church on Sunday morning, but it is an entire day to turn our attention to the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ, in worship and reflection all day long. Sunday is the Lord's day, a day instituted by God at creation, a day ceremonially fulfilled in Jesus Christ, a day morally and apostolically transcendent for all time, a day to set apart for recharging, a day to turn off the lies of the world, a day to redirect our attention upon the truth of heaven. A day to hear God remind us of His salvation. And most of all, it's a day that is a gift. It's not a duty, but it's a delight. And so in that, we can close the book on this topic for now. Maybe we can return later at another time to create some objections, to work through some objections to help us refine the info that we've already discussed. But we'll definitely have to do that at a later time. We are running late on this episode. But thank you so much for joining me in this two-part episode concerning the Lord's Day. I do pray that the Holy Spirit can deal with us all uh, individually concerning how we order our weeks. And I do then trust that we will corporately find ourselves together on Sunday, setting aside our work for worship throughout the entire day long. That's all we have for today. I'll talk to you next time. This podcast is a ministry of Steel Valley Church. For more information on how to participate, visit our website at steelvalleychurch.com slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in.